Hello, it's that man again, and it's holy crap, it's sports time for a Wednesday afternoon, April 24th, 2019. So much to talk about, and I'm your host, Pete Davis, and you can reach me on Twitter. You can follow me at Pete Davis One, that's the number one, at Pete Davis One, or write me uh, Pete Davis One at yahoo.com. What's on the agenda today? Well, what do Orioles do on their birthdays? Kind of a bizarre stat. Would you refuse a baseball from a coach if he threw it to you? The new member of the 3000K Club tonight? Could be. Tyler Flowers hates easy RBIs. Good news for the Indians and Rockies. And yes, Virginia, umpires are as bad as you thought, especially the home plate umpires. Some news about cricket. That's right, I said cricket. Want a Babe Ruth jersey? Got $5 million laying around the house? Why pitchers walk batters by a former pitcher? And this day in baseball history, all coming your way in the next few minutes. So let's get started. Eric O'Flaherty, the former pitcher for several teams, including the Braves, he didn't pitch last year, but I think he still wants to pitch, was asked a question on Twitter by a guy named Joey. Is it really that hard to throw strikes? Uh, Yes, if you're in the Braves bullpen recently. But anyway, Eric O'Flaherty responded, not if you're willing to go down in flames. At some point, you just aim right down the middle and see what happens. Either your stuff is good enough to pitch in the league or it isn't. Walks are usually a result of a pitcher subconsciously not wanting an answer to that question, which I find extremely interesting that the way Eric uh, comes about that. You think he's right about that? Hmm. Well, we've been finding about a lot about 3,000 strikeout uh, pitchers recently. Did you know there's only 16 of them in the whole history of baseball? I mean, that's not a lot. Well, tonight we could join another one here on Wednesday night as Yankees left-hander C.C. Sabathia. He just uh, sits six strikeouts shy of 3,000 heading to a start against the Angels out in California. Sabathia has announced that 2019 will be his final season. We become just the 17th pitcher to reach the 3,000 mark. Joining this list, now this is it, the 16 guys, Walter Johnson, the big train, Bob Gibson, Gaylord Perry, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, Steve Carlton, Fergie Jenkins, Don Sutton, Phil Necro, Burt Blylevin, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Kurt Schilling, Pedro Martinez, and John Smoltz. For Braves fans, four of those pitchers actually pitch for the Braves. 3,000 strikeouts is a mark that requires excellence and longevity, which means there's a good number of legendary aces out there. Tom Glavin, Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax, Robin Roberts, Dwight Gooden, Jim Palmer, more, who are not listed. In fact, the 3,000K fraternity is markedly smaller than the other marquee clubs. 39 position players have stolen 500 bases. 32 have knocked in 3,000 hits. 27 of club 15 or 500 home runs, and 24 pitchers have won 300 games. Yet only 16 men throughout Major League history have struck out 3,000. Walter Johnson, the first to notch it when he punched out fellow pitcher Stan Kovaleski back in July 22nd of 1923. And then the game had to wait nearly 51 years to the day until the next pitcher, Gibson, reached that mark on July 17th of 1974. In comparison, only 11 years passed until Jimmy Fox joined Babe Ruth as the second member of the 500 Homer Club back in 1940. It took 17 years for Honus Wagner to join Cap Anson in the 3,000 Hit Club and just two years for Tim Keefe to join Pud Galvin as the second 300-game winner. By the way, a shout-out to Matt Kelly of MLB.com for putting together this 
this lovely article. Uh, the 300 Wind Club had a 20-year span from Lefty Grove in 1941 to Warren Spahn in 1961. The 500 Club uh, Homer Club's longest wait between members over the last half century was the nine-year wait from Mike Schmidt in 87 to Eddie Murray in 96. And the longest gap between 3,000 hit members in that span was seven years between Rod Carew back in 85 and Robin Yount in 92. More pitchers have twirled a perfect game in modern history than have compiled 3,000 strikeouts. 23 perfect games, or 23 pitchers have hurled perfect games. Nearly as many pitchers, 12, have recorded an immaculate inning over just the past two seasons. There were 31 other pitchers who debuted alongside C.C. Sabathia back in 2001 who compiled at least 1,000 strikeouts and have since retired or not signed with the team for this year. Among that group is John Lackey, who came closest to C.C. in that span. He finished with 2,200-plus Strikeouts. Meanwhile, who's up after CC? Justin Verlander has 2,744 strikeouts and figures to be next in line. And there's an outside chance he also reaches the milestone this year if he improves just slightly on his career-high 290 case total from last year. Well, that's subject number one. How about subject number two? If you think home plate umpires are bad, and I do, I'm one of those people, well, now we have proof, according to Mark T. Williams, who was at Boston University. An analysis of nearly 4 million pitches shows just how many mistakes the umpires make. You're not going to believe this. Home plate umps are the heart of the baseball. Every single pitch can require a judgment call. Yet you ask everybody that a lot of those calls are incorrect, and now it affects the strategy, the statistics, and game outcomes. Well, now we know it's true. It's bad. Just how many mistakes are made? Well, the comprehensive uh, umpire performance stats are not readily known because Major League Baseball doesn't seem interested in sharing this data. So could it be because the numbers are not flattering to the umps? Yes. In a new study with support from a team of BU grad students, they analyzed how many balls get called strikes and vice versa. The accuracy of all the home plate umpires was ranked and age and experience taken into account. And while the human element of the game certainly adds color, that's what they always say, you don't want to take the human element out. Our results show that it comes at a high cost, too many mistakes. All 30 Major League Baseball stadiums now are outfitted with triangulated tracking cameras that follow the baseballs from the pitcher's hand until it crosses home plate. Ball location can be tracked up to 50 times during each pitch, and accuracy is said to have a margin of error of one inch. This info is used to evaluate the players, but MLB doesn't share the results in a way that allows fans to easily evaluate the umpires. So BU analyzed nearly 4 million pitches over the course of the last 11 regular seasons. Uh, this has been collected by the MLB-owned StatCast and PitchFX, sorted, formatted, and superimposed on a standard strike zone map. So basically an example of balls and strikes superimposed over strike zone between, let's say, a game between the Red Sox and Blue Jays from nine years ago. All right. During uh, this available technology and the use of it, they measure the ball and strike calls for accuracy. They then rank the error rates for each active umpire, creating a bad call ratio. The higher the ratio, the worse the umpire. And the findings, guess what? Very troubling. Botched calls and high error rates are rampant. Home plate umpires make incorrect calls at least 20% of the time, one in every five calls. 
In the 2018 season, MLB umps made 34,246 incorrect ball and strike calls. That's an average of 14 per game. Just one can change a game. They're doing 14 a game, 1.6 per inning. Last season, 55 games is 2018. Two point two percent of the total played ended with an incorrect call. Those are the games that end on an incorrect call. When batters have two strikes, the error rate for all the umpires increased. Incorrect calls happen twenty nine percent of the time, almost double the error rate when the batter had one or uh, no strikes. So when the pressure is on, the umpires screw the pooch. They also found the highest error rates did not come from the younger, less experienced umps. Nope, they come from the Joe Wests of the world, the older veteran umpires. The average MLB ump is 46 years old with 13 years experience. But the top performance between 2008 and 2018, the 10-year span, had an average age of 33 and less than three years of experience at the big league level. Like the baseball players, pro umps seem to peak at a certain age. And despite years of data-driven evidence, Major League Baseball has notoriously resisted retiring the poorly performing umpires and hiring better performing ones. See C.B. Buckner and Angel Hernandez. The league remains top-heavy with aging umpires, making it difficult for fresh new talent to come in. For all the ways that MLB has incorporated technology into the game, and my God, we've seen it over the last three years, the radar gun, instant replay, pitch graphics, Doppler radar, the spin rate, the league has resisted deploying this tech to assist with the calling of balls and strikes, and it's time to get over that. Umpires continue to call them like they did a century ago when Babe Ruth played. Baseball has too many one-off situations and complexities to assume that a robot could replace an umpire. But MLB does have a unique opportunity to use the existing technology and strengthen human software collaboration so the umpires can do a better job. Here's what they decide to do. This is what Boston University says maybe they should do. Umpires could easily be fitted with earpieces connecting them to a control center that conveys real-time ball and strike info. The tech-assisted umps could then make calls correctly and quickly and effortlessly. Time-honored and much-beloved behind-the-plate signs, the signals, the sounds that still be there, umpires would remain the final arbiter, having override ability under certain circumstances, such as if the ball hits the ground before crossing the plate or if the system outage occurs, if the power goes out. But meanwhile, strong recruiting, hiring, and retention of the superior performing umps coupled with these tech aids would reduce the error rates and also dampen biased pitch calling. Strike zone subjectivity would be minimized, allowing the batters and pitchers to focus more on their craft and less on guessing the specific umpire's strike zone quirks. See Eric Gregg. It would also reduce conflict between teams and umpires. Imagine how much the player and fan experience would improve if more than 34,000 annual wrong calls simply vanished. That's fascinating. I'm not one for simply saying every time a university does a study, that's why we should change our lifestyle. But I think it's been long past the time to have robo uh, balls and strike called. Of course, I don't know what would you do. Would you put electrodes on the nipples and the knees of the ball players when they walked up to the plate? Uh, would, would there be cheating? Of course there would be. It would be very interesting to see how the uh, Major League Baseball would handle that. But you would always need a home plate umpire, a human, to call whether the play at the plate is safe, whether the player sliding in is safe, whether they touch the plate. Of course, they could put electrodes in hands and plates too. Anyway, if you got $5 million laying around the house, how would you like a rare Babe Ruth jersey? 
It's expected to sell at auction for $4.5 million, according to Emily Carone. A rare game-worn Yankees road jersey used by Babe Ruth, expected to sell for four and a half. That would be the world record for the highest-grossing sports memorabilia item of all time. Hey, today's uh, beer is Falstaff. Let's take a drink. Mm-mm-mm. Falstaff is good stuff. Anyway, uh, only a few authentic pro-model Babe Ruth jerseys are known to exist. These date back to the 1920s. About six total of quality are known to exist, inclusive of the example with the Baseball Hall of Fame and this jersey, according to Hunt Auctions. The most recent Ruth jersey to sell in the marketplace went for more than $4 million. It's gray flannel. It's going to be auctioned off, features the original Yankees team name across the front. The jersey is very rare because it's the only time in which the franchise's history that the nickname was printed on the uniforms. Think about that. Uh, Babe's last name, Ruth, is stitched on the collar. His jersey will be sold as part of the live auction event. Uh, the personal collection of Babe Ruth is going to take place at Yankee Stadium this June 15, 2019. Uh, it's going to honor National Babe Ruth Day, which is celebrated on April 27th. I'm looking at the jersey now. It's pretty cool. Very um, normal little letters of Yankees and kind of in a rainbow-type pattern. Uh, let's see, a pair of Ruth's Pro Model cleats, a 60th home run autograph display piece, Lou Gehrig signed photo of Ruth, to Ruth, I'm afraid, single signed baseballs and autographed photographs and other items will be auctioned off at the event. And I'm looking at the, um, the collar of this. It's got A.G. Spalding written right there, made in the U.S.A. Well, did you ever throw a baseball back as a kid that came to you in the stands, a foul ball, a player giving it to you, throwing it to you, a coach tossing it to you? Would you ever think about throwing it back or saying no? Well, there's a kid that's gone uh, viral, a White Sox fan. Frankly, White Sox fans could be, should be glad for anything coming their way these days. Andrew Murrens has a good column about this and talks about it on MLB.com. Uh, the, the kid, I don't think they have a name of the young young fan basically was trying to catch a ball thrown by the Orioles first base coach and he was about to catch it in his glove when an Orioles fan jumped up this is at Camden Yards in Baltimore jumped up and snagged it and almost immediately the adult realized because someone said hey you took that away from the kid and the guy turned around was like oh crap and he turned around and tried to hand it to the kid and the kid who's got the the White Sox jersey nothing a White Sox hat just basically threw his hands up in the air like "Uh uh-uh you tainted it. I don't want that ball. I didn't catch it. And good for the kid. He didn't catch the ball. And he's like, no, no, that's yours. You can have it. And he turns and tries to walk away twice. And the guy finally walks in, up to him at the seat and hands it to him, which is cool. It's cool all around that the kid would say no and that the adult would say, no, no, you should have it. As opposed to that woman that last year grabbed the, the ball out of the kid's hands. I think it was in Houston, was it? I don't Whatever happened to that bitch? Man, if I, I'm telling you right now, I'd be in jail. If I saw a man or a woman, an adult, snatch a ball away from a kid's hand that, that the kid had got himself from a foul ball or, the, or somebody tossing the ball, that person, I'd probably deck them right then and there. I probably have a few false staffs in me as well. Anyway, the Orioles I mentioned earlier in the uh, prelude, Orioles pitchers have a very interesting stat when it comes to their birthdays. Orioles pitchers are 6-4 with a 3.82 earned run average, and the team overall is 7-4 when the pitchers start on their birthday. 
Now, that's digging deep into the numbers there. Speaking of deep into the numbers, uh, Braves fans don't want to pay much attention to what the bullpen is doing these days because they blew another game last night in Cincinnati. Jesse Biddle, and some people are asking why is he still on the team and he's not down in Gwinnett, uh, walked another batter with the uh, bases loaded. The Braves had come back from a 3 nothing deficit to take a 4-3 to lead, and then the bullpen basically starts giving up. Kevin Gosman didn't help either. The starter, he immediately gave up the lead right after they had given it to him. But here's something else I want to point out. Tyler Flowers, the catcher, struck out with a runner at third and one out in the eighth inning. And I may be the only person in the world that's noticing this, but that's all Tyler Flowers does, it seems, when there's a runner at third uh, with less than two outs and he's at bat. And I remember a game last year. He did it at least three times last year that I remember. And one game really struck out because I was sitting in the emergency room at a hospital because it, it felt like somebody was stabbing me in my left side. Turns out it was just a muscle spasm, thank goodness. But anyway, I'm sitting there listening to the game, and it was the Atlanta-Baltimore game, and the, uh, it was going late in, the, late in the innings. And I think Tyler Flowers came up in the ninth inning with a chance to win it and struck out. He came up later in extra innings, and once again, a man on third. All it takes is a fly ball. Couldn't do it. Struck out. And then he lit it later in the season as well. So I knew of at least three times he did it last year. I know it's a small sample size and whatever, but come on. He did it again last night, and maybe I'm just because I keep seeing it that I'm tired of seeing it. A good news for the Indians, as pitcher Carlos Carrasco is not expected to miss any time with that left leg injury. They thought it was serious, but at MRI on Tuesday, the results were negative. So they're optimistic he's going to make his next scheduled start Sunday in Houston. The 32-year-old Carrasco got hurt in the fourth inning Tuesday night against the Marlins. He was covering first base. After running from the mound to the back, he stumbled and fell as he attempted to catch the throw from first baseman Carlos Santana, who uh, he was pretty much, the throw was off, kind of like Carlos Santana's music is off. Uh, however, his leg tightened up when he got up, and the Indians batted, so they replaced him after four scoreless innings. Last year, Carrasco missed three weeks after he was struck on the right elbow by a comebacker from Minnesota's Joe Maurer. He was also sidelined for Cleveland's run to the World Series in 2016 when he broke his right hand after being nailed by a comebacker from Detroit's Ian Kinsler. Earlier that season, he suffered a bruised jaw after being hit in the face by Chicago's Melky Cabrera. A baseball. Carrasco also missed six weeks in 2016 with a strained left hamstring, once again covering first base. From now on, if I'm the Indians, just forget it. We'll cover first base for you. Good news for the Rockies. They're getting first baseman Daniel Murphy back earlier than expected. I'd love to see this guy bat. Announced yet Wednesday that he has been reinstated from the injured list. Murphy had been expected to miss at least a month after he suffered an avulsion fracture, and doesn't that sound ugly, to his left index finger against, once again, the Marlins doing this, March 29th, and uh, had a little fracture. He died for a ball. He's 34 years old, Murphy is. He was 1 for 10 in two games after signing a two-year, $24 million contract. Once again, I love watching this guy bat. And I noticed the other day there's somebody that reminds me of him from the right side. I wish I could remember who it was. It's not Harrison Bader. It was somebody else from the right side. They hold the bat away from them a little bit. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, the Frazier kid uh, with the Yankees, where he holds the bat away from him and wields it like you know it's a weapon or something. It's pretty cool to watch. 
Anyway, the pitching thin Brewers have agreed to a contract with veteran lefty Gio Gonzalez. One-year, $2 million deal. It also has performance bonuses built in. Gonzalez also spent the last month of last season in Milwaukee. and They got the two-time All-Star in an August 31st trade last year with the Nationals. The 33-year-old Gonzalez returns to Milwaukee, a team that enters play today with a 5.34 team ERA, which is the worst in the National League. Uh, they're also without their injured starters, Freddie Peralta and Jimmy Nelson. Uh, Gonzalez went 3-0 and with a 2.13 ERA and five starts with the Brewers last season. Helped him down the stretch there. He was 10-11 and overall with a 4-plus ERA and 32 starts with Milwaukee and Washington before that. Well, I mentioned earlier, I have some cricket news for you. And if you see my cover photo, my cover art photo, as they like to call it on some of these pages, Patreon.com and uh, Buzzsprout and whatever, uh, I've got a whole stand with a baseball glove and baseball bat, I think a hockey puck, a badminton shuttlecock for some reason. And in there is a cricket bat that I bought in London back in the 90s. Well, guess what Texas is doing? Texas is thinking about building a $500 million cricket stadium. And the town they will build it in, Allen, is a northern suburb of Dallas, has a history of doing this. Uh, Basically, they built, in 2012, an 18,000-seat, $60 million high school football, which was later surpassed uh, by McKinney, which paid $70 million for theirs. But the Allen proposal calls for $500 million 15,000 capacity stadium. In fact, someone's so happy about it, they're revving their engine outside. The aim is to establish a footprint for the world's second most popular sport. Okay, show of hands. How many people thought cricket was the second most popular sport? Not me. We all know soccer is number one. I thought basketball was number two these days because it's so easy to play it everywhere. But anyway, uh, cricket's number two. Uh, they think they're going to have a, uh, an American, like an Olympic team. We'll see. Businessman Jignesh Panja, who lives up in Pennsylvania, says he's going to help professionalize cricket in the U.S. and has a nationwide plan worth $2.4 billion, with a B, billion dollars to bring cricket to America. I looked around. Actually, back in the 90s when I was doing a radio show here in Atlanta, uh, there were a Jamaican guy called up and said there were two cricket leagues in, in Atlanta back in the 90s, one for the Caribbean players and one for the British players because the two didn't mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, come on, man, it's 1997. But anyway, here we are in 2019, and there's at least two um, playing cricket fields here in Atlanta. And here's what they're thinking of doing. They're going to basically, they supposedly bought a mall, if you're familiar with Atlanta, the Gwinnett Place Mall in Gwinnett County, which is right up I-85. They're going to level it and build a stadium up there. It seats about 20,000, a cricket stadium where a mall used to be. And as P.J. O'Rourke used to say, Atlanta is where malls go to die. Here's a good stat from MLB Stats. The Mets are the first National League team since at least 1908 to have home runs from three different pitchers, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, and uh, Zach Wheeler in their first 25 games. Uh, Noah's was helped, though, a little bit. Wasn't it Dexter Fowler? It hit his glove and bounced over the fence. So that was a a little bit of a... um, uh, shoot, what's his name? Jose Canseco with the ball bouncing off. Not as embarrassing as the ball bouncing off your noggin. All right, it's time for day in baseball history. Time for another drink of the sip of the old cold fall staff. Almost did a Harry Carey there. Cold Budweiser. On this date, April 24, 1901. 
in front of 14,000 fans at the Chicago Cricket Club. That's right. The American League completes its first game ever. The White Sox and Roy Patterson defeat the Cleveland Blues 8-2. The game lasts 90 minutes. Uh, the Blues would later become the Indians. Uh, they use that name because they have a very bright color of blue on their uniforms. Of course, they were also called the Naps and the Spiders, weren't they? On this date, 1902, pro baseball gets its start in Durham, North Carolina, when the tobacconists <laughs> will play for 11 years there before they change their name to the Bulls, the Durham Bulls. They play an exhibition against Trinity College. Trinity College is now known as Duke University. By the way, the Bulls uh, didn't, except for 1971 through 1980, when minor league baseball didn't exist there, will continue to play in Durham until the present day, but they were not playing for nine years back in the 70s. On this day, when did that movie come out, Bull Durham? That was the, 19, that was the 80s, wasn't it? So that was right after that. In 1923, President Warren G. Harding, the G standing for Gamaliel, if you were listening to the podcast yesterday, you know this, should be a trivia question. An avid baseball fan, Harding was. He liked to keep a scorecard at his games. When was the last time you saw a president keep a scorecard? Uh, witnessed the first shutout ever thrown at Yankee Stadium. The chain-smoking chief executive delighted to see Babe Ruth hit a home run, but disappointed to see the Senators lose 4 to nothing. On this day in 1945, the owner-select U.S. Senator Happy Chandler, I think he was from Kentucky, unanimously to replace Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who had been elected to another seven-year term just a week before his death back in November. Baseball's second commissioner will remain in the Senate during the first six months of his tenure in office. So let's go to the First of all, Kennesaw Mountain misspelled his name, Kennesaw. There's two N's in there, not just one, Landis. Uh, and he came in during the, uh, what was it, 1920, right after the Black Sox scandal, somewhere around there, and was there for 25 years, it looks like. On this day, 1962, Commissioner Ford Frick finds Casey Stingle 500 whopping dollars for appearing in uniform for a beer ad, which shows the Mets manager ready to bunt. Kathy Kirsch, who is holding the ball in the Rheingold ad, remember Rheingold beer, will later become better known as Cornelia, one of the Joker's women in the 1960s Batman TV show. Man, I used to go home every day in Falls Church, Virginia, to see the Batman show, run home from school every day, and we walked to school back then. Man, uh, you wouldn't do that down now in Washington, D.C. suburbs, would you? Uh, first grade, ran home every day to see Batman and then the Green Hornet right behind it. And then, then I think they played the Monkees right after it, too. On this day in 1987, at Cleveland Stadium, Ricky Henderson becomes the first player in baseball history to hit a home run off two different 300-game winners in the same game. The left fielder solo shot in the eighth inning off Phil Necro and his two-run blast in the ninth off Steve Carlton are not enough to uh, thwart the Tribe's 6-5 walk-off victory over the Yankees. This day in 1989, joining Reggie Jackson in the Reggie Bar, Ken Griffey Jr. became the second player in history to have a candy bar named after him when he signs a contract with Pacific Trading Cards Company. Unfortunately, the Mariners center fielder cannot enjoy the popular confectionery because the 19-year-old rookie outfitter is allergic to chocolate. Can you imagine being 19 years old and allergic to chocolate? Can you? I can't imagine that at my age. i got to have my chocolate every night, man. I'm like a, you know, a 50-year-old woman watching the Hallmark Channel. Where's my chocolate? I'm going to have some right after I finish this. By the way, some of you out there saying, oh, wait a minute, Hank Aaron, 
Remember, O. Henry, Hank Aaron had a candy bar. That's right. But O. Henry bar was around before Hank Aaron. It was not named after Hank. And as we all know, it's a great trivia question. The Baby Ruth bar was not named after Babe Ruth. It was named after somebody's daughter. And finally, on this date in 2008, the David Ortiz jersey, which had been secretly buried in semen at the new Yankee Stadium in an attempt to curse the team, is acquired in a Jimmy Fund charity auction for $175,100. The winning bidder from the 282, who vied for the tattered Red Sox jersey, is a man named Kevin Meehan, the owner of ImperialCars.com, located in Minden, Massachusetts. I mean, that was pretty low low ball, wasn't it? To try and bury a David Ortiz jersey in the Yankee Stadium. Didn't really do much because the Yankees won the World Series pretty quick after that, did they not? But anyway, it's good to see that the curses have been lift, lifted. The Cubs, the White Sox, the did the White Sox have one? I know they won the World Series, but did they have a curse? Anyway, the Red Sox did, and they're all gone now. In fact, we're waiting for the Indians. Do the Indians have a curse? Because they haven't won since 48. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, I'm Pete Davis. This is another example of the fine episodic history, number 11 of um, Holy Crap at Sports, which you can listen to on iTunes when they get around to putting these up. They're a little slow. And I think they're on Stitcher.com now. Also on Facebook, if you follow me on Facebook or The Kimmer Show on Facebook, or follow me on Twitter, at Pete Davis One, the numeral one, at Pete Davis One. I post them every day. And uh, and if you like the show and you want to help it continue, because we're going to be out of work here in about a month, uh, our radio show is going to end. Uh, if you want to follow on Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. And um, help subscribe and uh, send a little my way for, so I can buy some more O. Henry bars and feed myself in between these. Anyway, or you can listen to us every day, Monday through Friday, on Talk 106.7 FM Atlanta from 3 to 6 p.m. And that's Monday through Friday, Talk 106.7 FM before the Christian Pop Channel takes our signal in about a month. Anyway, uh, thank you once again, especially a a shout-out there to Esther and a shout-out to uh, Mike and Michael and everybody on Patreon who is helping uh, keep this going. I appreciate that, and uh, everybody have a lovely night. It's a beautiful night here in Atlanta. Unfortunately, the Braves are playing in Cincinnati. In fact, right now, when I get off, I'm going to tune it on and listen and watch as we are. Am I the only person that goes on the MLB radio app and listens to the radio broadcast and keeps the sound down on TV, especially when the ESPN people are doing it? Not all of them. I like some of John Shambi and, uh, and Sutcliffe and Kirkshen are, are just classic. I love listening to those guys do a game on ESPN. Anyway, oh, by the way, I did promise to break down the MLB network guys uh, who I would fire, and uh, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. I, I've written it down here, and it's lost in the shuffle. Anyway, have a great night, everybody. Drink up, Shriners.